So you might have to have your, your, your tart in a box. Sorry? That makes a change. Well, you know, time is of the essence. I don't mm. want you to, uh, to miss out on Steve's spectacular tart. Um, is so this how you do things in Didsbury? You eat your tarts in boxes, not in bowls? Well, the rest of us will have it in bowls, but it's you're home- strictly oh. not a Didsbury resident. So it's home-baked, oh. by the way. Home-baked by me. Home-baked. Seriously? Yeah. No, you didn't. You warmed it up, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's baking. It's essentially the oh, same process. Paul Hollywood wouldn't say it is, would he? It's, it's spending 20 minutes in the oven. That's home-baked as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, exactly. It is that's baking in the oven currently. home-warmed up. You haven't put all the ingredients together, have you? Did you roll your own pastry? If it was microwavable, mm-hmm. it would be home warmed up. It is baking in the oven. Is it is it acceptable to be taking sort of baking advice from, from Andy Hinsliff, the man whose <laughs> talking contributions to this podcast involve loading the dishwasher and doing the shop? I poured the juice. You did pour the juice, the donut juice. The donut juice, In yes, his defence, yes. he, uh, he did make me a cup of coffee once as well. Yes, although he had to be instructed as to the processes to go through to make that cup of coffee. I don't make many cups of coffee. <laughs> I have a man for that. Is, that. is that because your body's a temple? Is it? Mm. Mm. Yeah, we all look down as well. Yeah. yeah. Don't look too far down. So where, where do you need to rush off to? Uh, I've got to collect a car. Have you bought this car? or you No, just, I was going to steal it. Transferring car from person to person. I'm a, I, I'm a getaway driver for bank robbers. Of course I bought it. Well, you, you've played in the Premier League, so I'm assuming it's a German car. A lot of what Stephen is saying is coming in association with our final pizza. So do do forgive the, the terrible rudeness. I've had the decency to turn my mic off. While yes. I well, yeah, but I can't reach the button. Hugh is in <laughs> control because, of my button and is steadfastly refusing <laughs> to give me the grace. Growing belly because he's had about 14 pizza slices. That's why. I've had no more pizza. In fact, I've had less pizza than other. The only person who's had less pizza than me is Andy, because some of it was a bit too spicy for it. Two of, two of the three were too spicy. This is not spicy, this one. It is. It isn't. My lips are on fire. Good Lord, Jim. And I didn't eat my crusts on the middle one either. That's very sensible for weight so purposes, there you go. I must admit. Bread is evil. Uh, welcome to Set Piece Menu. This is the podcast where four friends talk football over food. And welcome to part four of our spectacular summer series of shows that has been asking the question, what is English football? While all the time adding in S words to make it sound even more spectacular as the weeks have gone on. We'll bring our discussion to a conclusion today. You'll be pleased to know some of you, no doubt, by widening the geographical context, by considering whether such a question is relevant elsewhere. Do other countries have a definitive national style of football? Thank you to all those who have got in touch at Set Piece Menu on Twitter. Setpiecemenu at gmail.com is our email address with me, Hugh Ferris, once again. Ah, Andy Hinchcliffe, who would have by now sent us at least three postcards from his posh retreat in Portugal. Rory Smith, who would have spent a good deal of the last month or so saying the Dales of Yorkshire were way better than Portugal anyway. And Steve Wyeth, whose most glamorous jaunt is likely to have been to Milton Keynes to see his brother. That is, yes, frighteningly true. So then, we have been asking, what is English football? What have we managed to get through so far? Well, in three delightfully sized chunks, we have spoken about what English football may well be. What is its identity? If it did exist, when did it exist? That was the historical context. Then we asked how it has changed, what it has lost, what it has gained as a result of those changes. How can it get it back and should it want to anyway? That was part three. So now we move on to part four and we wonder if this is something that any other country would consider. Do Spanish people ponder their national football identity? Do they care in France or Portugal or Greece? All countries that have been successful since the turn of the century 
commentary in the international game? Or is there a podcast asking what is German football over a series of summer spectaculars in Germany? Or do they just do it instead of agonising over it? And as if to prove the point of difference, we will now agonise over this for the next half an hour or so. Do other countries have a footballing identity that they ponder, consider, wonder about, or do they simply just produce? Well, this is what we have to look at. Has Italian football, German football, Spanish football, over the last, what are we looking at, say 20, 25 years, has it adapted and changed? Has it become like the Premier League? Are there more foreign players playing in those leagues? Because I'd always presume those leagues 20, 25 years ago, the Italian team, Juventus, whatever, would be full of Italian players. Did that used to be the case? And has that changed over the years? There are more, I think it's fair to say that in Germany, France, Italy and Spain, there are more foreign players than there used to be, mm-hmm. but all of those leagues still have a much higher quotient of, dom- of domestically, bro- domestically reared talent than the Premier League. So it's around 30-35% Premier League players are English. I think it's about 60-ish in most of the rest of the leagues in Europe. And the majority of the foreign imports play for a much more select group of clubs in the in the other main continental leagues you would argue that Juventus for example would have considerably more foreign imports than than the also runs in Serie A and that would be true of Bayern as well in Germany and uh, and, in, and in France PSG obviously particularly would prop up the the, the foreign quota there wouldn't they that, that elsewhere the depth of the league is is more homegrown than it would be in the Premier League where where it's it's true of Sunderland who finished bottom of the league as much as it is of Chelsea who won it that they are, are, are heavily influenced by foreign players. Yeah, I think that's true. Is it is it a conscious effort by the clubs or by the leagues to have it this way, or is it just this is just the way things are? Uh, I think that well, it, you don't you don't want to generalise. I think Germany's in Germany in terms of identity is a really interesting case study because. German football had had a really strong identity. It was quite similar to England's identity up until about 2000. German, German teams always had sweepers. It was weird for a German team not to have a sweeper. They were, as a rule, the players were quite old, very experienced, a bit grizzled. They had mullets. They looked like, <laughs> P- they looked like Pierre Litbarski. Yes. Every footballer looked like Pierre Litbarski. That was all Rudy Voller. They, I was going to say, rule. Pierre Litbarski is basically Rudy Voller without a moustache. And with brown hair. <laughs> yeah. the, they were hard-running. They were... They tried hard, they wanted it more, but they did it in German. Um, they were industrious, they were effective, they weren't particularly pretty. That's what German teams did, that's what brought them all that success at international level. There is obviously a slight cultural difference because Germany and England had all these, these traits in common, but Germany won a lot more World Cups. I don't know how to explain that, maybe they were just a bit better at football. But in 2000, famously, you had the, the terrible performance at the Euros and Germany set about... When they lost to England. Lost to England, a really bad England. Had this... Were you in that team? No. <laughs> no, but it's interesting that you would draw that immediate conclusion. <laughs> I just had this w- moment of panic that maybe Chinch was in the Euro 2000 squad. Don't be stupid. Uh, anyway, <laughs> they then had this... Every, I mean, there's no point going over this in detail, but because everyone, everyone who's listening to this podcast knows this story. You've all read Das Reboot by Rafi Honigstein, so there's no point going into it in detail. But Germany did have this, this crisis of identity and decided to change it. And in the course of the last... What year is it? 2017? Mm. Last 17 years, they have completely changed their identity. German football now, we do not think of German football now as we thought of German football in 1998, 1999, at all. There is, it is, it's been a complete sea change. 
and un unusually it's quite an accurate reflection because in a lot of cases the image of the country that we have is not only completely at odds with the image of the country that that country has but everything's at odds with the actual reality so the best example of that is brazil italy's a close second but brazil is the best example what do we think of when we think of brazilian football well, samba football. Samba football. football on the beach. That Nike advert with the in the airport. In the airport, everyone doing tricks and stuff. Brazilian football is basically just 11, 11 defensive midfielders. That's all Brazilian lead football is now. And if you look at the Brazilian national team, it's getting a bit different under Chichi, but it's largely been the same for the national team. They played just loads of defensive midfielders. They tackle. They're a bit dirty. It's all hard running physicality. They've tried to sort of ape European football and done it really badly. That's why Brazil ha isn't what it used to be. Italy, we think of as being really defensive, but you watch Italian football, loads of, loads of teams are incredibly attacking. I, I did, before the Champions League final, me and my close friend Miguel Delaney went on Spanish TV uh, at the same time as Ivan Elguera, who is the player that Andy Hinchcliffe could have been. If only he had a right foot. If only he had a right foot and was always injured. I mean, he was always injured. <laughs> yeah, that's um, exactly right. The, the, he was, Elguera was a sort of central-based Spanish Hinchcliffe in that sense. And... Loads of the pun. We were only on for about thirty seconds. It was a complete waste of our time. But <laughs> the what you were paid thirty seconds. No, it must have been. Weren't, we weren't paid at all. This is not the point of the story. We weren't paid, which is fine. They, they kept ringing Midel to try and get him to come to the the TV area in the state in the Arms Park next to the Millennium Stadium. They wanted us there like an hour early, and then we we sat around for forty five minutes, and they interviewed us for ninety seconds. Welcome to the world of television. It's really board. annoying. I expect to be listened to, Steve. <laughs> At length. You need to learn televisual um, efficiency and discipline. 90 seconds, pointless. You can present an entire programme and be on screen for less than 30 seconds. 30 seconds is, is a right? phenomenal amount of time. Somebody probably get my name wrong and I have to spend 25 of those 30 seconds explaining who I am and then goodbye. Ivan Elguera was on for more than 90 seconds, I can assure you. Anyway. Well, quite right, because people would have heard of him. The, the, I don't know, I think me and Miguel are pretty big in Spain. Anyway, the... Yeah, the, listening to the, the pundits as we were waiting in the studio, lot, they were all sort of talking about Juventus and say, and they kept saying, oh, you know, this Juventus will be happy not to have the ball and they're very defensive and it's typical Italian football. And I was just... Eventually, I put them to put them right. Well, no, I didn't want to criticise Ivan Alguera, did I? It's Ivan Alguera. And also you only had 90 and seconds. I only had 90 seconds. I had other points to make, Steve, as you, I'm sure you're well aware. But it was just really interesting to think that we think of European football as being much better connected than English football is with Europe. But the Spanish still had this incredibly kind of outdated view of what Juventus are like. Juventus are not a defensive team at all. Well, you, you, you've picked out Italian and German football there, of which I watched quite a bit of, uh, working for BT Sport. It, Serie A this season has been hugely entertaining. Juventus have, are, of course, the driving force behind that, but teams are, are, were no longer shirking their responsibility to try and pursue Juventus at the top of the table, and, and Roma and Napoli this season both made a decent fit of it, but they did so by trying to be more attacking, to be more expressive, to score more goals. Uh, Juve, Roma, Napoli were three of the top-scoring sides in, in all of European football this season. So, yeah, that... Serie A is definitely Italian football has definitely uh, shaken off the shackles of this kind of defensive stereotype, and and it, anyone who still believes that is 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 very wrong. The interesting thing about German football is that it's almost the the perfect contrast to the situation in England, where actually the national team is considerably greater 
than the, than its parts in terms of what what it offers domestically. Because although the Bundesliga has quite a lot in common with the Premier League in terms of you know the, the dynamic nature of it and it's a, a sort of attack at all costs, it's much more chaotic and haphazard than the German national team is. We all know what the stereotype of, of them going about their business, generally, you know, peaking for major tournaments and, and winning games in a very efficient manner. That is entirely not true of the Bundesliga, where defensively they are pretty shambolic at times. <laughs> you know, there's an awful, you know, to see, an, if you see a nil-nil in the Bundesliga, you really feel like you've been terribly stitched up. They come around very infrequently because defensively the teams aren't that strong. The focus is very much on attack. There's a wingers, you know, goal scorers of the ilk of Lewandowski and Aubameyang who, you know, both scored in excess of 30 goals in, in the season just gone. So, yeah, it's really it's, it's interesting to me that, that German football is able to, to take the entertainment in its league and filter that into a successful national team that plays in a completely different way, whereas English football is not able to take the success of the Premier League, take the top quality players, English qualified players out of that and, and, and transmit that into a successful So what, so what ena- enables these German players to go from playing under one set of circumstances domestically to playing under a very different set of circumstances nationally, yet still being successful? Because that's what's missing. If that's what English football is, it's that kind of taking those English players out of the Premier League, put them into a national side and being successful, whether you play the same way or not. How how does that happen? Are they just simply, in terms of their brains, are they better? Are they technically better, or willing to more the more adaptable? How how does that happen? Why does it not happen with the, the English players? Well, it's good coaching, but it's probably continuity of coaching. When did when did Jurgen Klinsmann take over as the national team boss? Because that would have been fairly soon after that sort of reflective period at the turn of the century. I'm going to say either 2000. Three or, or 2000, between 2002 and 2004. But obviously they had great success under him in 2006. His assistant was Jogi Love, mm-hmm. who is still the national team boss. They've had an unbelievable spell of continuity at the, the top of, of German football. And, and between them, Klinsmann handing over to Love, have been able to sort of control the flow of players at their disposal. And But, but also, again, you know almost in the reversal of English football, you know, one or two of their key players play abroad or have played abroad. So they gain the experience of playing in slightly different environments and are able to bring that back to the national team. So yes, they have a core of players who play in the Bundesliga, but that is infused with influences from all over the rest of Europe. So do we think then that, is it fair to say that there is an identity to German football, whether that's the shambolic defending of the Bundesliga, the attack, the frenzied attacking of the Bundesliga, or the slightly ca- the ability to switch between, switch from that to another ca- slightly calmer approach. The national team is it fair to say there is an identity to German football has an identity. Well, is their identity to have success on the national stage? You know, they have a team in in Bayern who are obviously have the ability to go deep into the Champions League each season, and they carry the you know although you know there are plenty in German you know supporters of other German clubs who dislike Bayern in the way that, you know, Manchester United, uh, you know, people despise United in in England, but they carry the weight of expectation of all German football into continental club competition, whereas that expectation is spread over four, five, maybe even six teams in the Premier League. But with the the fan ownership, you know, fans on the board, the 50-50 split in terms of, you know, whether it's corporate or fan-owned ownership of the club, 
means that there there isn't the, the shareholders to satisfy in the same way that the entertainment on the pitch is is paramount. The the, the fans have a big say in the way the clubs a run that keeps ticket prices down. They can have a beer in their seat. They can get to the game for free with their match ticket. So they are able to focus much more keenly on the success of the national team, as well as making the product domestically entertaining. We we spoke on the last program about the duopoly, if you like, in England between the product of the Premier League and then the national team being the two things that that coexist actually in England, slightly unhappy bedfellows Mm. because of the organisations that run them. Um, But we we should be able to reflect upon that when we talk about the slightly more successful model, which is a duopoly of Bundesliga and Mannschaft, but they probably cross over a lot better because of the organisations that run them Mm. and because of a history of success, knowing what works. And also, and I know Chinch will probably bring this in as well, a slightly different kind of player, Mm. maybe a slightly more intelligent player who can make that transition. This is my international game. I slot in because I've done it before. I know how it works. That's just very interesting that the the Germans, when things didn't go well at that one tournament, they changed it. How quickly they were able to change or decide a change needed to be made. Let's implement it. Let's get it working. You just don't see that ever happening in this country. And if there's the same, again, that similar amounts of foreign players in the top sides in Germany, that is, the, is, is true in the Premier League, why can't we have that ability? Is this is what, with this England DNA, is this what we're trying to, the FA are trying to do now? Is change, but they're, but they're always is that they're what always, they're attempting to do. They're always fighting up against the Premier League. Mm. Um, as much as the Premier League say that they want the England national team to do well in in Germany, perhaps you have country they work commercial. T- they work together. In England, it's commercial over country, not because yeah. of either wanting to be better, but simply uh, that's just the fact. And also, in terms of the players, I think the players would rather be playing in the Champions League than be playing for England at a World Cup. It seems the strangest thing to say, but. The English players, the top English players, are far more comfortable at their clubs than they are playing for their country. But if they win something, they might have positive reinforcement Absolutely, and they might yes. then want to win more with England. That's, that's yeah. You've got more and more regular success mm-hmm. playing for your club. So clearly those are the, those are the moments that you, that you hark back mm-hmm. to, even if you're a young player, that you want to see continue. I think there probably is. Germany, yeah, the, the DFL and the DFB work very well together and they, the, the, there's a kind of a, pro, a consensus approach that they are familiar with in their lives and we've talked about sort of other factors away from football throughout this series and I think if you look at the fact that they, they tend to have coalition governments that's really important the Germans are used to the idea that there is compromise whereas in England we maybe think about majority governments and we, well, not at the moment but we, um, <laughs> it's like a demon us kind of situation yeah. a minute. Yeah. by, by yeah. the time this goes out we might have already had another election could well be, yeah that's true um the four weeks of Theresa May's prime ministership. Uh, the, but yeah, I think I think that the, the the FA and the Premier League do work well together in certain ways. And the, the England DNA thing, you can't escape the fact that a lot of the coaching there has been done by the Premier League clubs because they've improved their academy coaching and they've they've given the kids a better education. But there's still not that same dovetailing that you get in Germany. I think Germany does. I think all of these countries do have an identity. I think there is. It's dangerous for us to assume we know what the, those identities are, because we're obviously not as familiar with them as we are with England, because we're, we're not Italian. Although, obviously, I've got a talent at the moment, so I kind of look it. <laughs> could be anything. <laughs> really. could be anything. Um, Chinch looks quite German. But the, um, <laughs> angular. Very angular. <laughs> Merkel. What? <laughs> Sorry, go on. Chinch looks a bit like Angela Merkel. Angela Merkel. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, yeah, but uh, Germany, I think, uh, Steve's right, it's not always... 
a style of football. Maybe with Spain, you think about titi-taka and passing technical football. I think that's broadly true of most Spanish teams. Not all teams like Atletico Madrid aren't particularly technical, or they are technical. That's not their defining characteristic. Even Sevilla, I don't think. I think Sevilla play quite an English style, but there isn't. There is a technical underpinning to all of it, and a patience in their play. Uh, Italy, I think, to me, Italian identity is probably tactical innovation. That's the thing that you think of about now when you think about Italy. It's not Catanaccio, it's not defensive football, it's not cynicism. It is probably a bit of cynicism. And, <laughs> and they do get extra pleasure out of defensive play more, perhaps, they understand as, a, as a latent hangover from... from but not, 100 years of the just, stereotype. Yeah, but it, they appreciate made them good it. at it. They're, yeah. ju- they're good at it and they appreciate it. They understand that a, a really good defensive... But we have that it same thing in, in England where you have like a bats-to-the-wall performance. We yeah, love yeah. them. The Italians just make it look easier. That's all. It's the same thing. I was gonna, how far away from a European identity in terms of football? How different is German, Italian, Spanish and English football? How different... Is it really hugely different or is it a European style of football? Can I shock you? What? I like wine. <laughs> the, um, no. Uh, in the... Have I mentioned the numbers game before? I have, haven't I? Yes, you have. So the numbers game is a book by Chris Anderson and Dave Sally, which is excellent. You should go and buy it. And you should and note it is edited by... How wonderfully edited it was by me. Um, is, there a, is there a rough draft available that we could compare? <laughs> yes. Just uh, there is, before yeah. you Before you were yeah, sort of yeah, able yeah. To, to take a hatchet to it. It was wasn't it? a matter of taking a hatchet, Steve. It wasn't a matter of taking a hatchet. It was simply a matter of trimming it a little. It was a bit like a, bar- a word barber. <laughs> just had to take like a, a blind l- surgeon. <laughs> slashing. Willy-nilly. <laughs> get rid of those seven <laughs> words. Just t- t- took three words out of every sentence regardless of what effect it had and on the top and edited by Rory Smith to the front cover yeah exactly <laughs> it's not on the front cover it's a bone of contention anyway <laughs> in that one of the things that Chris and Dave did which I thought was really interesting was look at kind of the general output statistics from the four major leagues so all of them apart from France mm-hmm. sorry sorry to the French and they're basically the same. The number of crosses that go into the box, the number of shots per goal, the uh, the number of goals, the number of tackles, the number of passes made, are the same in the Bundesliga, the Premier League, La Liga, and Serie A across the across the so, whole season. So I made a massively pertinent point. A hugely there, pertinent I? point. Amazing. And, and as usual, by wow. Didn't mean to. Sorry. <laughs> no, but it's true. The episode thirty-ish. <laughs> we got there. I think with football, we we see what we want to see. And I think that's incredibly important to, to remember that if you want to, to watch the Premier League and think of it as being incredibly dynamic and exciting, it will look dy- dynamic and exciting. If you if you watch an Italian game with the mindset it was a bit slow and boring, you'll probably find it quite slow and boring. If you watch Germany and think it's it's ruthless and efficient and not nothing more, no, there's no craft or guile, that's the bit that you'll notice. And we often go into things with, with preconceptions that define how we see things and how we judge them. And I think if you if you were to watch, the way that Chris and Dave did that in the numbers game was they, they presented a table of shots, shots per game, tackles, passes, whatever, and didn't label them and said, see if you can guess which one's which. And you can't, because they're all, all basically exactly the same. There's maybe more maybe more, slightly more tackles in England than there are in Italy, but it's not. It's statistically insignificant. But it's just, if you could put a game on TV with the teams in black and white, all, all identifying symbols removed, just the pitch so you couldn't see the stadium, so you couldn't tell which stadium it was, do you think you'd be able to tell what, sort, what country you're watching the game from? I think you could, maybe, you could maybe just about pick out a Spanish game from an English or a German one. I'm not sure you could tell the difference between a German and an English game particularly easily. 
and depending on the teams involved, probably not an Italian game. I think they'd broadly, if you strip away all the emotional attachment, all the preconceptions, all of that, I think basically they all look pretty much the same. So if it is getting or is pretty similar, that gives the English clubs in terms of the Champions League better opportunities going forward because if we if it's very similar types of football we do should have more of a chance if, if the game is played in a similar way country by country nationally might not change anything because it seems like say with the German national team the Spanish national team they seem to have something over us clearly they have for so many years so that might not change in terms of the international game but the domestic game surely the Premier League sides in terms of the Champions League should be closer than they are to the, the teams in Europe I think there's a, yeah probably I think, but I don't think the gap's massive my, my dad who doesn't watch a huge amount of European football I saw him the other day and he said he'd watched the Champions League final and he didn't think this is a 75 year old man so let's not let's, let's not send in loads of abuse <laughs> but he didn't think that he saw a vast difference in quality between Real Madrid and Chelsea from what he'd seen now I think that's not quite right I think Real Madrid are a level above Chelsea but I don't think the gap in that level is huge. I think it can look enormous because because it, we're talking about such fine margins. And I also don't think Real Madrid are all, all that good. Did you tell your dad this at the time, or is this your way of telling him? No, I said the same. I said I think I think Real are, are ahead of Chelsea, but it probably isn't by it, in the me, in the football media we we tend to highlight anything that's different and blow it out of proportion that's kind of what we all do and we haven't seen Chelsea play Real Madrid yeah. so, so, so which, this, this, che point that this Chelsea have not been in the Champions League so we don't know how they compare I think Real Madrid are better than Chelsea but I think to act like Real Madrid versus Chelsea would be the same as Chelsea versus York City is ridiculous the mighty Minster men would surely have a chance the Minster men would have a great chance particularly on the uh, the Kit Kat Crescent pitch <laughs> that's the, true where, it's where by now. the way I was a steward for one year Oh, is that right? Yes. Very good. I'm glad I brought it up. You were what called Stuart for one year. <laughs> just, just change my name. Suits you. Stuart Ferris. It's got a certain <laughs> ring to it. My year after university, I was a steward in family stand. <laughs> Who's going to listen to you in a high-vis? Well, that's why I was a family stand. Doublet I have nothing for to the control. Kid. My, that was my, my, the first ever game of football I reported on. Was uh, was that the uh, the former Bootham Crescent? Is it used I to be now? York City versus I can't tell you. I can't tell you. My, my first game that I covered was also York City, but it was at Leighton Orient at Brisbane Road. My greatest ever game for for my school team was against the stool at Bootham, Bootham Stool. In fact, I had one of my. Why can't did, you actually, did he start that game? I started that. But this <laughs> was different. I was better you. at football by this stage. <laughs> anyway. Don't, don't, don't ask him why he can't tell his York no, City story. No, it's an awful. No, it's nothing. It's nothing. Well, it is awful. What you do we, were, we, were the, we were the reigning FA Cup holders. We were knocked out against York. The oh, way from right. home. Yeah, yeah. And in the dressing room after the game, Joe Royal said to me, since you became an international, you've gone backwards. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Do you think it had gone to your head? Why were you entirely to blame? I, I, I did make a couple of horrible errors. As I, I tended to do every game, just people didn't notice yeah, the ball didn't say, end up in the net. So few that you could remember. But it was, yeah. Oh, anyway. York. That's a big anyway after all that. Mm. I think, yeah, I, d I don't think the gap is enormous between the top of the Premier League and the top of Europe. There is a gap, but I don't think it's, it's, it's not insurmountable. I think there's two or three things outside of the style of football that hold England back. One is that I don't think they can attract, the, the top six in the Premier League can't attract the same quality of player as, as Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich. I think that being in the Champions League brings with it and doing well in the Champions League is a virtuous circle which means that every year they get better those top teams get better those teams themselves I think are yeah. are 
increasingly detached from the quality of their leads. I think that you're mm-hmm. seeing an era definitely. of a super club yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, develop where the defining factor isn't that there is a European, there probably is a European style of football and at its peak it is Champions League football. So Champions League football is different to Italian football, German football, Spanish football, French football and English football. There is Champions League football on top of all of it okay. and the English teams, because they haven't been playing it that frequently to that high level, are away are falling. How many metres away, away would you say? Seven metres. Seven metres yeah. and close no, we'll see if it's closing. Does ne- next year the referee the pushing them back with his spray though? Will, you, will, it, will it get to ten metres? <laughs> it's ten yards. Ten Come yards. On. Ten metres. You'd score every free kick. Only if Joe Hart was in goals. There, there's an element of proactivity. You spoke about. Um, I can't remember if it was on this program or the program before about how England will always be chasing the game it's a generational no, thing Steve, that Steve said that, that brilliant was that, that was. was that on this programme or the previous programme that was on number three uh, if, if somebody wants to give me credit for a salient point I'll take it thank you it was the last one wasn't it Whenever. it was on the last yeah, one the last so one. it talked about always always catching up that, is there an element about of proactivity about Germany Italy and Spain Italy have changed their game um, you said to, to make it more attacking and that's helped at least Juventus yeah. prosper in the Champions League Germany had that watershed moment in 2000 Spain, the perennial underachievers, as the phrase was coined up until uh, they succeeded international. They had Luis Aragonés to, to thank, didn't they, for, for basically bringing the Real Madrid and the Barcelona factions together. So all these countries who we think have an identity have at some point been forced to, either through lack of success or external circumstances, been forced to somewhat change that identity. But they... And the difference is, perhaps with English football, is that they have done it in a proactive manner to try and gain something. And England are always looking at those others to say, well, we need to change like them and not actually necessarily fixing the problem before it happens. Yeah, Spain's a great example. To Spain, Spanish football we now think of as being tiki-taka, but until 2004, six, it wasn't. Spanish football was kind of the best image of Spanish football, where it was Julio Salinas and Miguel Angel Nadal and the Butcher of Barcelona and all that, or the Butcher of Bilbao, whichever he was. And Zuba's arrest, it was big and it was strong and it was kind of like that. Spanish football hasn't always been the technical thing that we think of it as being now. Does it matter whether you have an identity or not as long as you're, air quotes, successful? Because you're saying about the adaptability of countries to change if things aren't working. So what's the point in sticking with something if it's not working well, for you? We've got to change that identity, whether we call it identity or not. But that adaptability clearly hasn't happened really in England. Well, we spoke at the beginning of this conversation, back, way back, and I definitely know what part this was. This was part one. Uh, we spoke about the intransigence of the English football hierarchy, which essentially stopped it from being adaptable, and it led to who knows how much underachievement. So, yeah, perhaps the answer is is to is to not be intransigent, to understand the adaptability yeah. matters, and to not care about an identity. The ability to, to change constantly. To have yeah, to yeah. define that yeah, identity. Yeah. Is the, you know, I... I during the course of this discussion it's sort of getting a sense that whilst perhaps English football and the Premier League can be defined by the 20 teams that play in it that's not so easy in the other top leagues in Europe that actually Juventus you know the way that Juventus play is not the definition of the way of Italian football they they, they sort of play almost you know above that in order to be able that they can compete domestically and internationally, and that is definitely true of, of Bayern in Germany. They are the, the you know they are a an oasis of calm compared to the chaos of the rest of Bundesliga at times. And, and the same in Spain, you know Barcelona and Real Madrid, the way they play does not probably define Spanish football because of the quality of the players that they've got at their disposal. You know the 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 the, the quality is. <clears throat> 
is more finely focused, yeah. isn't it, in those leagues? Whereas we've we've talked before about this, there's much greater spread of of strength in 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 England, which makes the the Premier League the successful product it is to sell overseas, but is to the detriment of our teams in the Champions League and internationally. And if you look at the Premier League teams who have done well over the last 15, 20 years in Europe, they have managed to do exactly what you've just described Juventus are doing right now. Sir Alex Ferguson at Manchester United realised that the Premier League way would not work in mm-hmm. Europe, so he developed, thanks partly to Carlos Quiros who came in to try and educate him as much as the players, developed a European style of playing, which they've then adopted in the Champions League, which then in a mirrored fashion, started to reflect on their Premier League um, way of playing, which meant that they had a couple of years of not winning the Premier League because they were unable to be able to balance the two. And then Sir Alex Ferguson learned from Jose Mourinho at Chelsea and realised that actually the changes that he had made to be able to to compete on both fronts, it was a kind of a yeah homogenised version of English and European football. And so for the next two or three years, Manchester United were again successful in Europe up until you know 2011, where they were able to play on both fronts and so actually whether it's having the right people in place taking on the right influences uh, knowing who to copy when to copy them i.e. not wait until it's already been aped so much that people have figured out how to play against it it's about being proactive and realizing that you have to to kind of figure out almost two or three identities yeah and, and you are successful in those two or three ways to be able to be in this kind yeah. of overarching if you one, successful if you have one identity yeah there's only one way forward and what happens if football changes and that doesn't work what do you do you have to be adaptable but there is another there's another factor that that, that defines proactivity I think and that's that to bring it back to where we kind of started a long long time ago many weeks ago in fact uh, and that's learning that that I think if you look at Spain Germany and Italy in their different ways they have all been prepared to learn about themselves, about football, to take on other influences, to to see the way that, not necessarily to say go to Clairefontaine and say right, we need a Clairefontaine, not to transplant other ideas wholesale into into their own context, but to to challenge their preconceptions, to look at where they're failing, and to think of ways around it. It hasn't been so much as kind of we've you know the Germans didn't think right, this is what the Spanish are doing, we better just do that. Does Germany in 2000, who would they've, they've learned from? The French and, and the Italians, I guess, were the, the successful countries. They, they found a, a German way of making it work, of taking, taking the, the raw materials they had and applying them to a modern context. And I think the Italians have done that, they, where it's, it's very much coach-led. The coaches are the ones who come up with the ideas. The players are continually developed, but the, the coaches change systems. It's on field. They've been left behind. In, Italian football's been left behind in other ways, off the field. But on the field, it remains very innovative. In Spain, they looked at the type of player they were bringing through, and they thought, right, we need a, a way to to play this, to, to, to make the most of these players. Titi Taka, as everybody knows, was an insult when Javier Clemente coined it. It was, it was messing about football, not banging it forward to Julio Salinas. I feel like I'm insulting Julio Salinas, I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, and I think the proactivity there is that all those countries have shown a willingness and an ability to learn, to innovate, to do things that not that have been successful elsewhere, but that might be successful for them. And my, my only worry with England, where I think that a lot of that is changing, that insularity, that that belief in England's superiority, my worry would still be that a lot of it is, well, the Spanish are doing this, so that'll probably work. Not thinking, do you know what? England does have an identity. It does have strands of its identity that survive even in the modern age. We need to find a way to, to make the most of them. What Steve mentioned however long ago about, you know, why, why, don't England, why doesn't the England national team play more Premier League football 
in, when, in international tournaments, why don't you see what the Premier League can do rather than always kowtowing to the accepted norm? My worry is that by losing, by choosing to ignore your organic domestic identity, you end up basically being a citizen of nowhere and not having that own unique calling card that every other major country does, whether it's the identity we think they have or not. So that's it. Thanks for sticking with it. Let us know if you thought all this was a good idea. And I started it by apologising to our foreign friends for focusing for so long on English football. I hope you all understand. Next summer, Andy will tell us about the game in Moldova. He studied it a great deal. He is almost uniquely qualified as a result. And funnily enough, we end with Andy and a much-trailed soccer story. Four weeks of promotion, Chinch. It better be good. Oh, it isn't. It's just a, it's a very it's a, it's, it's a little run of the mill. It's boring. a nice story. No, it's not a nice story because Neville Southall was an evil man in many many ways. <laughs> Didn't murder anyone, but we used to, so far as we know, it's the it's the pre-season photograph. You know the photograph out on Goodison Park, wherever it is, with all the players there and sunny day. Sunny, always a sunny day. Yeah, in, in Merseyside, that's very hard to find. But John Ebrill, <laughs> do, you, do you remember John Ebrill? Who doesn't? John Ebrill John was the talented fullback in that team. It, I was the talented fullback. He was the workman like midfield workhorse but he was slightly thinning of hair Okay. Even when he was young. So he's been at Everton. He was a junior at Everton. So he came through the ranks and was there with Neville Southall for years. Every team picture we used to have, I think it was probably the week before the season started, we'd all get changed and clearly put all the kits on and everything and be trooping out onto the pitch. Neville Southall used to go to the... You know, why they had these big tubs of Vaseline? Don't they still do it these days? Big tubs of Vaseline. Neville Southall used to take a big scoopful of Vaseline and just hide it in his hand. As the photographer was setting up to take the picture... Neville invariably being a goalkeeper was on the back row and John Ebrill happened to be in front of him. He'd then smear his head <laughs> with Vaseline. So on every team picture that you ever see John Ebrill in, he looks like a light bulb. <laughs> because his, his thinning hair, it, once Vaseline's in your hair, it ain't going anywhere. And he, never, he did it every single season. Like It happened once, I said, right, I'm going to be on my guard. And he just managed a way of smearing Vaseline over John Ebrill's pate. Every single team picture we have. So I guarantee you'll never see John Ebrill with hair sticking up. He always looks like Noel Brotherston with his hair plastered down to his head with Vaseline. Who's Noel Brotherston? <laughs> you don't know who Blackburn's Noel Brotherston? It's even more chinch references. Bobby, Char Bobby Charlton, then. Have you heard of Bobby Charlton? Uh, Sir Bobby Charlton. had that wispy hair that used to flap over his head. Imagine him with Vaseline. Oh, we don't imagine him with Vaseline on his head. But that poor John Ebrill. It was, and even I felt so. It was funny first five seasons. It was funny, <laughs> but then there was a few people with thinning hair, and then Neville had two scoops of Vaseline, <laughs> and was splattering on the doctor's head, on John Ebrill's head. It's not a Joe Parkinson. He was another thinning of hair, and they all looked like a team of light bulbs. It was ridiculous, but that's cruel, isn't it? It's uh, it's cruel. The defining characteristic of all footballers, you know, that they um. There's never a joke that gets tiresome for footballers. It's always like, I've done, I did this three years ago. It'll be as funny this it time. It was. It was. You thought, it can't be funny for the fourth season. But it was. But it still was. It still was, because it, it wasn't me having it done to me. <laughs> I had a massive mop of hair. You did. Curtains you had. Yes. You? I had every style going. Perhaps we can get the, the Everton team pictures of the early 1990s trending we on Twitter. We need to probably go 1992 onwards. At Set Piece Menu, please, yes. on Twitter. Send us your, your pictures. We could probably Google them 
ourselves, but it's much more fun if you get to do it uh, yourselves. Uh, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Uh, we'll hopefully be able to draw all together uh, your comments from this series on our next pod when we get around to doing that. And in the meantime, please do subscribe, share, rate, and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. I hope you enjoyed your summer as much as we enjoyed ours. I hope. Touch wood. She hasn't divorced me yet. Thank you to Steve, Rory, and Andy, and to you for listening. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very, very soon indeed. That was very tiring, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm exhausted. How long do you think your marriage is going to last? Just rough, rough guesstimate. Uh, let me check. Uh, let me check what the ceremonial vows say. Well, the average lifespan of a marriage. Is well, that's a hang- so Kate and I have had this discussion before. Which is, yeah. is it not a 50, Is it fifty percent now the divorce rate? Oh really? Fifty yeah, percent of marriages like forty or fifty. So, really? so let's say let's be optimistic and say forty. Mm. So there is between the three of us. Yeah. I mean, you've already had a divorce. Yeah. Yes, I, I think yes, we're yes, covered. Yes, yeah. we thirty-three yeah. percent already. Yeah, but but there's, four, there's four marriages. So the, his two, my one, your one. Oh, so twenty-five. Yeah, but wait a minute. I was married for twenty-five years before I got divorced. You married for so twenty-five years? Yeah, yes. But it's still a it's still a statistic. So what? You're not the only person who can say about that word. Let's let's all say it together. One, two. Three statistic. Thank you. It is still you are still a statistic, Chinch, in regard to the divorce rate. So twenty five percent. That's don't, true. They yes. Don't bring yes. In how long you've been married? For. But that's what we should look at: is length of that people have been together yeah. and how many mar- breakdowns have we had? Apart from the nervous breakdown you had, Rory, how many marriage breakdowns have you had? Uh, none. 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 We are I've had one marriage. Going Steve, strong. you've had one. Yeah, and you're not married. Breakdown. Still, I've had more more than my fair share of nervous breakdowns, Chinch. <laughs> but actual long term relationship breakdowns, not many. No, no. This is pretty much my so one long-term so relationship. So that's pretty good in terms of years. Would we're you, looking at over thirty-five years. If you, of if, you if you had the good fortune to be going out slash married to Steve Wyeth, would you would you endanger that in any way? I'm not. I idiot. wouldn't. Of course, I'm not. Well, why would I do that? So over thirty-five Here's years, one break. So actually, you're in, you'll be okay. I'll be okay, but only yeah. statistically. Only what? Statistically. Statistically, yeah, and it's also mm. worth mentioning that uh, all of our other halves prefer one of the other members of the podcast group than their own partner. So that's always uh, seriously. Nikki likes Steve. Yeah, she does. Loves your voice. Kate likes Syrupy. you. Does she? She was t- banning on about you to her. She's dad, only human. Yeah. Gemma likes everybody apart from me. Yeah, I was going to say, Katie would probably take any any one of the other three of you over mm. me. Familiarity breeds contempt. <laughs> it's true. What it is. So wait a minute. So that means your Kate likes him. Katie likes me. Him. Gemma likes. Well, she likes she likes Hugh for getting me out of the house occasionally and occupying me in other ways. Quite frankly. Uh, well, hang on. I just, that need, to, just need to make this abundantly clear. So, Nikki likes Steve. Yes. Kate, my Kate, likes Chin. Yes. Katie likes Hugh. Which means nobody likes me. Gemma likes. I like you. No, Gemma likes everybody. Gemma likes. That's everybody. not the same thing. No, it isn't. This is really. I'm leaving. <laughs>